I hope you didn't take my sermon. All right. Well, in some ways, they already took my sermon by talking about time and the importance of how we spend our time. Thank you, Clay and Karen, though, for that. And um, certainly, Great Banquet, as I said, has had a great shaping influence on many and on this body. And so I certainly echo Clay and Karen's request to think about the priority of time. So thank you uh, for that. And today, we are going to be looking, as we continue in our um, look at the second part of our True North series, at Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. And so I invite you to hear these words from Paul. Paul says, As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom and with gratitude in your hearts. Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God and let's pray. God, we gather together this morning in order to worship you and to give you praise for the love and the grace which you have bestowed upon us. So we ask, O Spirit, that you would be with us even now. And I ask, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. And amen. So, uh, again, if you weren't here last week, this is the kickoff, or this is the second week, I should say, of the second part of our series on True North. And uh, True North, there in the fall, again, we talked about uh, what we believed, and we talked about how we believe strongly that God loves us, that God calls us, that God has grace upon us, and that our call is simply to embrace the love that God has bestowed upon us. And during the second part of the series, we are asking the question, not just what do Christians believe, but how should Christians behave? What exactly should we be doing? And so I don't think I'm going to do this every Sunday, but I am going to do it again today, which is to remind us that the things that we do, how we act, are not in order to acquire the love or grace of God, but are done as a response response to the love and grace of God. It's been pointed out even that in this letter to Colossians, like most of Paul's letters, the very first half of it is all about what God has done for us, and then the second half is how we respond to what God has done for us. And so last week, the first topic was that we worship. Now, one of the things that we do as Christians is we worship. And so we went through, if you were here last Sunday, it was a little different kind of Sunday. We went through the whole worship service and talked about how the particular worship service helped us to worship God and why we did it. So we talked about 
We gather together because God is a God of relationship, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Trinity is in relationship, and God loves us. This is where, from whence we are created, is out of God's love for us. And so we talked about the fact that we gather together for that reason, that we sing. Why do we sing? Because singing helps to ignite our passion. Singing helps to form us as a community. Singing helps us to remember our identity and to remember who we are, We take up our tithes and our offerings as a reminder of the generosity of God. And so we receive and we give back the gifts. We pray. Why do we pray? Well, because it's a clear act saying that we are not in control and that we are dependent upon God. We preach and proclaim the word. Why? Because we easily deceive ourselves. So it's always critical for us to go back and to say, what is the Lord saying to us? We talk about what's going on in the world. We talk about the mission, the ministries that we have across the globe, and we do that as a reminder of the fact that God has called us to love not just those we know and who are nearby and whom we understand, but the whole world. That God has called us to love not just those near us and whom we understand, but the whole world. And we do these things not so that they will be an aberration from the rest of our week, but because we believe this should be a microcosm of how we live the rest of the week. This uh, past few days, uh, nine of us from ZPC traveled up to Grand Rapids, Michigan for a conference because who doesn't want to go to Grand Rapids, Michigan in January? It was beautiful. It's weird how you get cut rates during that time. And so... We were there, and one of the things, you know, we're all geeks in our own field, if you will. We all have people that we look up to, and one of the people that I look up to a lot is a New Testament scholar named N.T. Wright, and he happened to be speaking this week, and so uh, we were there. I got to see him. I got to shake his hand. This one right here. Um, and we even, you may have seen this on Facebook, we even got, I even got a picture. So here's a picture of me. Look at that. Uh, I'm the one on the left, and he's the one on the right. But it wasn't just me. We also got pictures of Venti uh, Wright with, uh, with John Grabiel uh, and with Calvin, uh, Bryant. Now, now, not everyone was courageous enough to go up there, but they still wanted their picture taken with N.T. Wright. So we have, uh, we have this picture with Sally. And if you look, there's N.T. Wright right back there. So this is a picture of Sally and, and even our own Betsy Howden. Uh, there she, and there's N.T. Wright there. So, uh, so it was a great week. Um, now, um, why was I? Oh, yes. Yeah. So, N.T. Wright. And one of the things he said, this wasn't the greatest thing he said, but it was one of the things he said that I really liked because it echoed what we said last week, which is this fact that too many of us, too many in our church, we, we think that Sunday morning is the time to go and to say hi to God, and then we go back to the real world. And what he would suggest, and what I would suggest, is that actually this is the real world, right? This is the world where we say when we gather together that God is actually in control. We are not in control. This is the world right here where we remind you that your identity comes primarily not from what you do, but from who you are as a loved child of God. That in here we talk about generosity because out there they have a sense of scarcity. And so our call is to come in here to remember the real world and then to bring that out 
to the pseudo world who is saying something different. So we gather together to remember who God is and who we are and we celebrate and that pours out wherever it is that we go. Worship. Second way that we want to talk about how we respond and how we act differently is exactly what Clay and Karen Barnes has talked about is that our time, how we spend our time should be different. As someone has said, our time should be redeemed because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, this is something that we talk about with some regularity here. This is not the first time we have talked about time. I mention it with some, uh, uh, quite often uh, with some frequency. And the reason, of course, is because, A, our time, uh, again, I think as the Barnes were pointing out there, our time, really, it ends up illustrating uh, what our priorities are, right? We all have the same amount of time. The question is, what are our priorities? And one of the things that I think I've discovered in my own life, and as I've seen others, is the the fact that our calendars and our time can get away from us if we are not being intentional about them. And before you know it, the way we are spending our time looks much less like a people shaped by the peace of Christ and much more like a people shaped by the franticness of our society. If people look at how you are spending your time, does it reflect the peace of Christ or does it reflect that perhaps we have given in to the gods of the franticness of our society? There are lots of different ways for us to look at how we spend our time, but today I wanted us to look at it through the lens of Colossians 3. And the way that what piqued my interest in this is a book that we've kind of been using as a template called Believe. It pointed out chapter 3, verse 17, kind of the ultimate, the last verse that I just read that says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God our Father. Now that's a great verse because it reminds us in everything that we do. In other words, every single minute that we are living, we should be asking, what difference does it make that Jesus has saved and redeemed me? Now, that doesn't mean that every second you need to be preaching the gospel uh, uh, verbally, that every second you need to be reading the Bible. It doesn't mean that, but it does mean that it should shape how we understand everything we say, everything we see, and everything that we do. But, as any good biblical person should do, when you read one verse, you don't just take that verse and run with it. You look at the context. And as I did that, I began to look at what happened beforehand. This is Paul telling us what he thinks that God would love for us to do. He wants us to be compassionate, to be kind, to be humble and meek, to forgive and to love. Now, I'm going to say this one more time. And then I won't say it again until next week. And that's this. Did you notice how it started? Verse 12 says, As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. As the people, first of all, who are loved and chosen and been made holy by God, 
as those people, this is what you act like after you know this is who you are, right? What people say is the imperative follows the indicative. What you do follows who you are. So first and foremost, you are God's loved children. And then, if you're curious, this is what loved children act like. And the question is, where does this list come from? Right? There's Paul kind of sitting there, and he's, he's got his little desk, and he's just thinking, now what would it look like if you were a loved child of God? What do you, what do we, let's see here. Um, compassion. I think that's pretty good. We probably should be compassionate. Let me write that down, okay? Um, what about, what about humble? Yeah, I think, I think humility is a good thing. I'm going to write that down too. I think the people of Colossae need that. Is that what he did, or did he get the list from some other place? Well, just listen quickly from the Gospel of Matthew. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. From Titus, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. From Philippians, Jesus being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. From Second Peter, therefore, beloved, while you are waiting for these things, strive to be found by him at peace, without spot or blemish, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. From First John, if we confess our sin, God who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. From Romans, but God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died. And from the gospel of John that I already recited in the prayer, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. From whence does Paul derive this litany of values that he thinks we need to bestow? From God. From Jesus himself. You see, far too often we see these lists and we think we can just detach them. It's why for far too often Christianity has at times been seen as something, a good moral kind of thing. This is something that helps us to be nice people. And what Paul is trying to remind us is that if you just detach all of these things, then quite frankly, you don't even need God at all. But that the reason why we have this list of being compassionate and kind and meek and humble and forgiving and loving is because of the fact that it's who Jesus is. And we are called as followers of Jesus, as Todd Bolsinger says, not just to be so delighted that we get to heaven, that we forget that what we are called to do is become more and more like Jesus every single day. But the other interesting aspect about this list of compassion and and being kind and forgiving and humble is this. And it shouldn't surprise us, if God is a God of relationships, that all of these things are absolutely necessary if you are going to have healthy, strong relationships. You see, Paul understands that a community, a Christian community, is not just going to all of a sudden, 
be a beautiful little body that comes and sings kumbaya, and then everything works out perfectly. I am oftentimes surprised at how many people think that churches should be perfect places. I always want to say, you know people, right? See, all of these things are necessary. Why do we need to have patience? Because people are annoying. Right? So, you have to have patience, right? I was reminded of this on our trip, right? Nine of us in one van spending four days together. This guy gets real annoying real fast. And, And you know it, right? I mean, I'll be the first to say it. I get annoyed with myself at times. And so what does it take? It takes people being willing to be patient with me. It takes me being willing to be patient with others, right? Why do we need to be kind? Because there will be times when people are mean. And you have to decide, and ZPC gets this, whether or not you are going to respond with being mean or if you are going to respond with kindness, We have to remember that we are called to be forgiving people. Why? Because people inevitably will do something wrong to us. Just let me remind you, as we will always need to receive the forgiveness of others. I think what reflects the love and grace of Jesus Christ as a body is not for us to act as if we are shiny, happy people. It is for people to be able to see a community that is so in deep or in so enthralled in who Jesus Christ is, is so rooted in who Jesus is, that despite the fact that we don't always agree, despite the fact that we need patience, despite the fact that people will make us angry at times, despite all of those things, we continue to love and embrace one another, not because we think that we are the greatest people that ever lived, but because we know that we are rooted in the beautiful Jesus Christ who embodies compassion and kindness and forgiveness and asks us to reflect and to do the same. Thank you. Now, here's the question. What does that have to do with time? What does all of this have to do with time? Well, I think what one of the things that we oftentimes struggle with is realizing that compassion and kindness and being forgiving and being meek and humble, all of those things will not just magically happen. I think sometimes we think, well, if we're followers of Jesus, this, we, just kind of, we just kind of let it go for a little while and, and we'll just read the Bible a little bit and we'll just come to Sunday morning worship and we'll hear a sermon and, and eventually we'll end up like this. What Paul knows is that that is not the case. Paul is a remarkably honest person. And so what does he do to help give us a sense of his understanding that it won't just happen? He says what? This is something you guys have heard before. He says, clothe yourselves. And what do we have to do every single day? We hope. We clothe ourselves. Right? And you know that you don't just wake up and you can't just snap your fingers and all of a sudden your clothes are going to pop up on you. 
And this is not just something that we decide that, well, you know what, we'll give this a try for a couple days this week, see how it goes. If it doesn't go well, we'll just stop clothing ourselves. No, we intentionally and with determination, whether we want to or not, we wake up and we put on our clothes, sock by sock, shirt by shirt, pant by pant, jacket by jacket, whatever it is, every single day we have to do it whether we want to or not. And what Paul is giving us this great image of is he's saying this is going to take determination and intentionality and it is going to take time if you actually want to be a people who are compassionate and kind and humble and meek and forgiving. Last N.T. Wright quote for today is this. N.T. Wright says, As with the putting off, so the putting on, he's talking about clothing, is a matter of consciously deciding again and again to do certain things in certain ways to create patterns of memory and imagination deep within the psyche and, as we saw from contemporary neuroscience, deep within the actual physical structure of our mysterious brain, gradually, bit by bit, the putting on of these qualities, qualities that seem for a moment so artificial, so unnatural, so unlike me, will in fact transform the character at its deepest level. Now, if that felt like a bunch of words and it didn't quite make sense, let me show you exactly what it is that N.T. Wright was saying. Hey, it's me, Destin. Welcome back to Smarter Every Day. You've heard people say it's just like riding a bike, meaning it's really easy and you can't forget how to do it, right? But I did something. I did something that damaged my mind. It happened on the streets of Amsterdam and, and I got really scared, honestly. I, I can't ride a bike like you can anymore. Before I show you the video of what happened, I, I need to tell you the backstory. Like many six-year-olds with a MacGyver mullet, I learned how to ride a bike when I was really young. I had learned a life skill and I was really proud of it. Everything changed though when my friend Barney called me 25 years later. Where I work, the welders are geniuses and they like to play jokes on the engineers. He had a challenge for me. He had built a special bicycle and he wanted me to try to ride it. He had only changed one thing. When you turn the handlebar to the left, the wheel goes to the right. When you turn it to the right, the wheel goes to the left. I thought this would be easy, so I hopped on the bike, ready to demonstrate how quickly I could conquer this. And here he is, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Destin Salem. First attempt riding the bicycle. I couldn't do it. You can see that I'm laughing, but I'm actually really frustrated. In this moment, I had a really deep revelation. My thinking was in a rut. This bike revealed a very deep truth to me. I had the knowledge of how to operate the bike, but I did not have the understanding. Therefore, knowledge is not understanding. Look, I know what you're probably thinking. Destin's probably just an uncoordinated engineer and can't do it. But that's not the case at all. The algorithm that's associated with riding a bike in your brain is just that complicated. Think about it. Downwards force on the pedals, leaning your whole body, pulling and pushing the handlebars, gyroscopic precession in the wheels. Every single force is part of this algorithm. And if you change any one part, it affects the entire control system. I do not make definitive statements that often, but I'm telling you right now, you cannot ride this bicycle. You might think you can, but you can't. 
I know this because I'm often asked to speak at universities and conferences and I take the bike with me. It's always the same. People think they're going to try some trick or they're just going to power through it. It doesn't work. Your brain cannot handle this. For instance, this guy. I offered him $200 just to ride this bike 10 feet across the stage. Everybody thought he could do it. No, 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 no. No, you didn't understand. You didn't understand. So, this way. Okay. All right, I'm sick. All right, so, uh, whatever you're in. Wait, wait. No, no, you have to keep your feet on. Dude, all right, keep it going. Just keep it going. Like, you gotta start rolling at least. Once you have a rigid way of thinking in your head, sometimes you cannot change that, even if you want to. So here's what I did. It was a personal challenge. I stayed out here in this driveway and I practiced about five minutes every day. My neighbors made fun of me. I had many wrecks, but after eight months, this happened. One day I couldn't ride the bike and the next day I could. It was like I could feel some kind of pathway in my brain that was now unlocked. It was really weird though. It's like there's this trail in my brain, but if I wasn't paying close enough attention to it, my brain would easily lose that neural path and jump back onto the old road it was more familiar with. Any small distractions at all, like a cell phone ringing in my pocket, would instantly throw my brain back to the old control algorithm and I would wreck. But at least I could ride it. My son is the closest person to me genetically, and he's been riding a normal bike for three years. That's over half his life. I wanted to know how long it would take him to learn how to ride a backwards bike, so I told him if he learned how to ride a backwards bike, he could go with me to Australia and meet a real astronaut. Are you going to give up? No. Go ahead. This is how it starts. Look at this. This is such a big deal. Get up. You got it. Did you see his brain get it? So he in, how many weeks have we been doing this? Two weeks? In two weeks, he did something that took me eight months to do, which demonstrates that a child has more neuroplasticity, am I even saying that right, than an adult. It's clear from this experiment that children have a much more plastic brain than adults. That's why the best time to learn a language is when you're a young child. All right, today's bike log. I can ride smooth, I can ride fast. I'm thinking the experiment is over. Now there is more, but we won't, uh, we won't continue. Paul, I don't think was perhaps a brain surgeon and knew all of these things. But what Paul did know was that when we are trying to change something about us, something, as N.T. Wright says, that doesn't necessarily come naturally, it is going to take a lot of time. It is going to take great intentionality. Now, the bicyclist, he could have sat there and said, let's just picture, let's just think about what it would be like. Let's just imagine what it would be like. Or he could say, hey, let's get together once a week and we'll talk with my friends about what it would be like if we could ride our bikes in a different way. Or he could have said, let's try this, and he tries it two or three times and he gives up. But he didn't. He stuck with it for five minutes a day, day after day after day, for how long? Eight months. 
And yet sometimes we assume that if we just read about some of these things, that they will just magically appear. So the question then is this. Are we a people who are willing to spend the time it will take to actually be someone who is compassionate or kind or forgiving or loving? Or are we just going to say, well, isn't that nice? What a beautiful picture. Let's go back to what we think is the real world. And so my challenge for us this morning is not just to say, hey, wouldn't this be great? Go home and think about how great it would be. It is for us to say, how can you begin to do one of these things today? Now, what I think is actually most hopeful, or helpful, I should say, is not just to kind of think about, all right, I'm going to do all of these things with everybody in the world starting today. I think the most helpful thing is to do exactly what I do in the morning, which is put on a sock. For some reason, I always put on my left sock first. I don't know what sock you put on, but how many put on their left sock first? And their right sock? We're in, we're, we're in the minority. So your left sock, and I don't care, maybe it's your right sock. I want to challenge you to think about what is putting on your left sock or your right sock. And what I mean by that is to think of one of these virtues, whether it's compassion or meekness or humility or forgiveness or love, and think about one person with whom you struggle with one of those things. It may be a child whom you find who is remarkably difficult to be patient with. It may be it may be somebody a fractured relationship, somebody who fractured a relationship and for whom you find it very difficult to want to forgive that person. It may be uh, it may be somebody um I had one more example. Someone with whom it's incredibly difficult to be patient with. It may be a lots of different things. There's lots of different things in your life. Perhaps it's um, whatever it is. I want you to think about that right now. My guess is when I ask or when I say, can you think of one person with whom you struggle with one of these things that almost all of you immediately have somebody who, who, who comes to your mind? As I always suggest, do not look at that person right now. But whomever it is, think about that person and that one thing. And you have a calendar. You've got this thing right here. And this is mostly because I believe strongly that if you just hear something, when you leave, you forget it with some rapidity. And the thought is, if you have something that you can put, wherever it is, maybe it's your mirror, or maybe it's a refrigerator, or maybe it's in your car. It doesn't matter to me. On the back it says, whatever you do in word or deed. It's Colossians 3.17. But this is a calendar. And here is the challenge that I have for us today, which is today it starts with Sunday and guess what today is isn't it great how that works out it's just magic so Sunday I want you to think what is it that I am going to begin to do today and I'm not saying spend the whole day thinking about how you can be no. take five minutes five minutes and say something like, I need to be patient with this particular child, let's say. And what I'm going to do is I am going to, I'm going to, just, I'm going to take five minutes and pray. Just pray for this person and for patience. And that's all I'm going to do. For five minutes, I'm going to pray. And then see what happens the rest of the day. And then when you wake up tomorrow... Spend five minutes in prayer again. 
Maybe it's spending five minutes saying, I'm going to be compassionate. I know this was the other one I was going to. These are all personal examples that I'm thinking about, quite frankly. Why is there somebody in your life who is always complaining? It's like everything is always bad, and it really gets tiring. And so the last thing that you want to do is show compassion to them because you know that that's what they want, right? And so you don't want to give them that, right? Well, maybe what you are going to commit to is saying, I'm going to be compassionate for five minutes a day. If I see this person every day, maybe it's Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and I'm going to ask them, how are you doing? You may not want to. That's okay. It won't just happen naturally. It's like riding the bike. It doesn't just happen that you can just automatically ride it differently, right? Maybe it's spending five minutes a day writing in a journal. Maybe it's something that you don't like somebody or you struggle with it or it's somebody you struggle with forgiving. And maybe you need to write, take five minutes to either write down things that you like about them or five minutes saying these are the things that have really bothered me as a way of getting it out of your heart and your soul and onto a piece of paper. I don't know what it is, but I do know that if we are not committed to beginning tangibly to say, I'm going to start spending five minutes, then I want you to know that you are right. We probably will not change. The only way for us to begin to be able to be the people that God has called us to be, to be in relationships that God has called us to be in, is not just to hope that it will happen, but is to say, I am going to prioritize some of my time every day to this. And my hope and my prayer, brothers and sisters, is that as you begin and you've woken up for five, or woken up for five minutes every day and you've put on that left sock, that after eight days or eight eight weeks or eight months, that that compassion for that person may finally begin to grow. And when that happens, guess what you get to do? You get to pick up the other sock and put it on the other foot and begin to work on some other virtue with some other person. That slowly but surely, as we spend the time, again, if all we do is come here and say, wouldn't this be great if this could happen, then we have wasted our time. If we come together and we say, we paint a picture to say, this would be beautiful if it happened, and then we go home and we start working towards that, then we are what Jesus understands to be the body who he has called to be. Slowly but surely, brothers and sisters, minute by minute, we may just be surprised how after eight months we look back and we begin to see how much more naturally we have begun to be patient or loving or forgiving because of the fact that we have committed to spending the time day after day. And just imagine, if you will, if each of us did that, how different we might look as a body and how different we might be reflecting the Jesus who was loving and forgiving and compassionate and meek and humble and kind. But it starts today. Pick up the sock. Put it on your foot and watch the Spirit of God begin to change you, to change us, and perhaps even to change the world. May it be so. Amen? Let us pray. God, you have given us a beautiful picture of what it means to look like you. 
give us the courage, the energy to take the time that is required for us to be that people. For the glory of the one who created us and who has created all of time. Hallelujah. Amen.